Hi, I'm Steve, and welcome to our podcast. We're here for all things London, and to tell you more behind some of the iconic places and people in London's history. In this episode, we look this Halloween at Jack the Ripper. And thank you to Martin in Canada for the suggestion. Don't forget to visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel, London Visited, to see videos covering this place and so many others across London. Also, if you love the podcast and the channel, why not join us as a member? Join our group of what we like to call our London Visited Crown Jewels, where there are many different benefits, including a members-only monthly podcast. Have a look by going to patreon.com forward slash London Visited. And now, to our Halloween podcast. Jack the Ripper was an unidentified serial killer, active in and around the impoverished Whitechapel district of London in 1888. In both criminal case files and the contemporaneous journalistic accounts, the killer was also called the Whitechapel murderer and leather apron. Attacks subscribed to Jack the Ripper typically involved women working as prostitutes, who lived and worked in the slums of the east end of London. Their throats were cut prior to abdominal mutilations. The removal of internal organs from at least three of the victims led to the speculation that their killer had some anatomical or surgical knowledge. Rumours that the murders were connected intensified in September and October 1888, and numerous letters were received by media outlets and Scotland Yard from individuals purporting to be the murderer. The name, Jack the Ripper, originated in the Dear Boss letter, written by an individual claiming to be the murderer, which was disseminated in the press. The letter is widely believed to have been a hoax, and may have been written by journalists to heighten interest in the story, and increase their newspaper's circulation. The From Hell letter, received by George Lusk, of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, came with half of a preserved human kidney purportedly taken from one of his victims. The public came increasingly to believe in the existence of a single serial killer known as Jack the Ripper, mainly because of both the extraordinary brutal nature of the murderers and media coverage of the crimes. Extensive newspaper coverage bestowed widespread and enduring international notoriety on the Ripper, and the legend solidified. A police investigation into a series of 11 brutal murders committed in Whitechapel and Spitalfields between 1888 and 1891, was unable to connect all the killings conclusively to the murders of 1888. Five victims, Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Edos, and Mary Jane Kelly, are known as the Canical Five, and their murderers between the 31st of August and the 9th of November 1888 are often considered the most likely to be linked. The murders were never solved, and the legend surrounding these crimes became a combination of historical research, folklore, and pseudo-history, capturing public imagination to the present day. In the mid-19th century, England experienced an influx of Irish immigrants who swelled the populations of the major cities, including the East End of London. From 1882, Jewish refugees, fleeing the Russian Empire and other areas of Eastern Europe, emigrated into the same area. The parish of Whitechapel in the East End became increasingly overcrowded, 
with the population increasing to approximately 80,000 inhabitants by 1888. Work and housing conditions worsened, and a significant economic underclass developed. 55% of children born in the East End died before they were five years old. Robbery, violence, and alcohol dependency were commonplace, and the endemic poverty drove many women to prostitution to survive on a daily basis. In October 1888, London's Metropolitan Police Service estimated that there were 62 brothels and 1,200 women working as prostitutes in Whitechapel, with approximately 8,500 people residing in the 233 common lodging houses within Whitechapel every night, with the nightly price for a coffin bed being four pence, and the cost of sleeping on a lean-to or hangover rope stretched across the dormitory being two pence per person. The economic problems in Whitechapel were accustomed by a steady rise in social tensions. Between 1886 and 1889, frequent demonstrations led to police intervention and public unrest, such as Bloody Sunday in 1887. Anti-Semitism, crime, nativism, racism, social disturbance and severe deprivation influenced public perceptions that Whitehall was a notorious den of immorality. Such perceptions were strengthened in 1888 when a series of vicious and grotesque murders attributed to Jack the Ripper received unprecedented coverage in the media. The large number of attacks against women in the East End during this time adds uncertainty to how many victims were murdered by the same individual. Eleven separate murders, stretching from the 3rd of April, 1888, to the 13th of February 1891, were included in a Metropolitan Police investigation and were collectively in a police docket as the Whitechapel murders. Opinions vary to whether these murders could be linked to the same culprit, but five of the eleven Whitechapel murders, known as the Canical Five, were widely believed to be the work of the Ripper. Most experts point to deep wounds on the throat, followed by extensive mutilation, the removal of organs, and other mutilations, distinctive features of the Ripper's modus operandi. The first two cases in the Whitechapel murders file, those of Emma Elizabeth Smith and Martha Taburn, are not included in the Canical Five. Smith was robbed and sexually assaulted in Osborne Street, Whitechapel, at approximately 1.30am on the 3rd of April 1888, she had been hit around the face and received a cut to her ear. Smith stated that she had been attacked by two or three men, one of whom she described as a teenager. This attack was linked to the later murders by the press, but most authors attribute Smith's murder to general East End gang violence, unrelated to the Ripper's case. Tabram was murdered on a staircase landing in George Yard, Whitechapel, on the 7th of August 1888. She had received 39 stab wounds. All but one of her wounds had been inflicted with a bladed instrument such as a penknife, and with one possible exception, all the wounds had been inflicted by a right-handed individual. The savagery of the Tabra murder, and the lack of obvious motive, and the closeness of the location and date of the later Canical Ripper murders, led police to link this murder to those later committed by Jack the Ripper. However, this murder differs from the later canical murders because although Tabram had been repeatedly stabbed, 
She had not suffered any slash wounds to her throat or abdomen. Many experts do not connect Tabram's murder with the later murders because of this difference in the wound pattern. The canical five Ripper victims are Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Edos, and Mary Jane Kelly. The body of Mary Ann Nichols was discovered at about 3.40 a.m. on Friday the 31st of August 1888 in Bucks Row, now at Jewett Street, Whitechapel. Nichols had been last seen alive approximately one hour before the discovery of her body by a Mrs. Emily Holland, with whom she had previously shared a bed at a common lodging house in Thrall Street, Spitalfields, walking in the direction of Whitechapel Road. Her throat had received two deep cuts, and there were many other cuts and mutilations. One week later, on September the 8th, 1888, the body of Annie Chapman was discovered at approximately 6am near the steps to the doorway of the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street, Spitalfields. As in the case of Nichols, the throat was cut by two deep cuts, and there were other similar cuts and mutilations. At the inquest into Chapman's murder, Elizabeth Long described having seen Chapman standing outside 29 Hanbury Street at about 5.30am in the company of a dark-haired man wearing a brown deerstalker hat and dark overcoat and of a shabby genteel appearance. According to this eyewitness, the man had asked Chapman, Will you? To which Chapman had replied, Yes. Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Edos were both killed in the early hours of Sunday the 30th of September, 1888. Stride's body was discovered at approximately 1am in Dutfield's yard, off Burner Street, in Whitechapel. The cause of death was a single clear-cut incision, measuring six inches across her neck. The absence of any further mutilations to her body led to uncertainty as to whether Stride's murder was committed by the Ripper, or whether he was interrupted during the attack. Several witnesses later informed the police that they had seen Stride in the company of a man, in or close to Burner Street, on the evening of the 29th of September, and in the early hours of the 30th of September, but each gave differing descriptions. Some said that her companion was fair, others dark, some said he was shabbily dressed, others well-dressed. Edo's body was found in a corner of Mitre Square, in the City of London, three quarters of an hour after the discovery of Elizabeth Stride. Her throat was cut, and other mutilations were similar to previous victims. A local secret salesman named Joseph Lorend had passed by a narrow walkway to Mitre Square, named Church Passage with two friends, shortly before the murder. He later described having seen a fair-haired man of medium build with a shabby appearance, with a woman who may have been Edo's, Lorraine's companions were unable to confirm his description. The murders of Stride and Edo's ultimately became known as the double event. The extensively mutilated body of Mary Jane Kelly was discovered laying on a bed in the single room where she lived at 13 Miller's Court, off Dorset Street, Spitalfields, at 10.45am on Friday the 9th of November, 1888. Each of the Canical Five murders was perpetrated at night, on or close to a weekend, either at the end of a month or a week, or so after. The mutilations became increasingly severe as the series of murders proceeded, except for that of Stride, whose attacker may have been interrupted. 
Historically, the belief that these five canonical murders were committed by the same perpetrator is derived from contemporaneous documents which link them together to the exclusion of others. In 1894, Sir Melvorn McNaughton, Assistant Chief Constable of the Metropolitan Police Service and Head of the Criminal Investigation Department, CID, wrote a report that stated, The Whitechapel murderer had five victims, and five victims only. Similarly, the canonical five victims were linked together in a letter written by police surgeon Thomas Bond to Robert Anderson, head of the London CID, on the 10th of November, 1888. Mary Jane Kelly is generally considered to be the Ripper's final victim, and it is assumed that the crimes ended because of the culprit's death, imprisonment, institutionalisation, or emigration. The Whitechapel Murders file details another four murders that occurred after the Canical Five. Those of Rose Milet, Alice Mackenzie, the Pynchon Street Torso, and Francis Coles. The vast majority of the City of London police files relating to their investigation into the Whitechapel murders were destroyed in the Blitz. The surviving Metropolitan Police files allow a detailed view of investigative procedures in the Victorian era. A large team of policemen conducted house-to-house -house inquiries throughout Whitechapel. Forensic material was collected and examined. Suspects were identified, traced, and either examined more closely or eliminated from the inquiry. Modern police work follows the same pattern. More than 2,000 people were interviewed, upwards of 300 people were investigated, and 80 people were detained. Following the murders of Stride and Edo's, the Commissioner of the City Police, Sir James Fraser, offered a reward of £500 for the arrest of the Ripper. The investigation was initially conducted by the Metropolitan Police Whitechapel, H Division, Criminal Investigation Department, CID, headed by Detective Inspector Edmund Reed. After the murder of Nichols, Detective Inspectors Frederick Aberline, Henry Moore and Walter Andrews were sent from the central office at Scotland Yard to assist. The City of London Police were involved under Detective Inspector James McWilliam after the Edo's murder, which occurred within the City of London. The overall direction of the murder inquiries was hampered by the fact that the newly appointed head of the CID, Robert Anderson, was on leave in Switzerland between the 7th of September and 6th of October, during the time when Chapman, Stride and Edo's were killed. This prompted the Metropolitan Police Commissioner Sir Charles Warren to appoint Chief Inspector Donald Swanson to coordinate the inquiry from Scotland Yard. Butchers, slaughterers, surgeons and physicians were suspected because of the manner of the mutilations. A surviving note from Major Henry Smith, Acting Commissioner of the City Police, indicates that the alibis of local butchers and slaughterers were investigated and with the result that they were eliminated from the inquiry. A report from Inspector Swanson to the Home Office confirms that 76 butchers and slaughterers were visited and that the inquiry encompassed all their employees for the previous six months. Some contemporaneous figures, including Queen Victoria, thought the pattern of the murders indicated that the culprit was a butcher or cattle drove on one of the cattle boats that plied between London and mainland Europe. Whitechapel was close to the London docks and usually such boats docked on Thursday or Friday and departed on Saturday or Sunday. The cattle boats were examined, but the dates of the murders did not coincide with a single boat's movements, and the transfer of crewmen 
between the boats was also ruled out. In September 1888, a group of volunteer citizens in London's East End formed the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. They patrolled the streets looking for suspicious characters, partly because of dissatisfaction with the failure of the police to apprehend the perpetrator, and also because some members were concerned that the murders were affecting businesses in the area. The committee petitioned the government to raise a reward for information leading to the arrest of the killer, offered their own reward, the equivalent of between £5,900 and £86,000 in today's figures, for information leading to his capture, and hired private detectives to question witnesses independently. At the end of October, Robert Anderson asked police surgeon Thomas Bond to give his opinion on the extent of the murderer's surgical skill and knowledge. The opinion offered by Bond on the character of the Whitechapel murderer is the earliest surviving offender profile. Bond's assessment was based on his own examination of the most extensively mutilated victim and the post-mortem notes from the four previous canical murders. He wrote, All five murders, no doubt, were committed by the same hand. Bond was strongly opposed to the idea that the murderer possessed any kind of scientific or anatomical knowledge, or even the technical knowledge of a butcher or horse slaughterer. In his opinion, the killer must have been a man of solitary habits. In addition to the contradictions and unreliability of the contemporaneous accounts, attempts to identify the murderer are hampered by the lack of any surviving forensic evidence. DNA analysis on extant letters is inconclusive. The available material has been handled many times and is too contaminated to provide meaningful results. There have been mutually incompatible claims that DNA evidence points conclusively to two different suspects. Aaron Kosminski, a Whitechapel barber, and artist Walter Sickart. The scientific methodology used to advance both of these claims by their proponents has also been criticised. The concentration of the killings around weekends and public holidays, and within a short distance of each other, has indicated to many that the Ripper was in regular employment and lived locally. Others have opined that the killer was an educated upper-class man, possibly a doctor or an aristocrat, who ventured into Whitechapel from a more well-to-do area. Such theories draw on cultural perceptions, such as fear of the medical profession, a mistrust of modern science, or the exploitation of the poor by the rich. The term Ripperology was coined to describe the study of the analysis of the Ripper case in an effort to determine his identity, and the murders have inspired numerous works of fiction. Suspects proposed years after the murders include virtually anyone remotely connected to the case by contemporaneous documents, as well as many famous names who were never considered in the police investigation, including Prince Albert Victor, artist Walter Sickart, and author Lewis Carroll. Everyone alive at the time is now long dead, and modern authors are free to accuse anyone without any need for supporting historical evidence. Suspects named in contemporaneous police documents include three in Sir Melville McNaughton's 1894 memorandum, but the evidence against each of these individuals is, at best, circumstantial. There are many varied theories about the actual identity and profession of Jack the Ripper, but authorities are not agreed upon any of them, and the number of named suspects reaches over 100. Despite continued interest in the case, the Ripper's identity remains unknown.
The nature of the Ripper murders and the impoverished lifestyle of the victims drew attention to the poor living conditions in the East End and galvanised public opinion against the overcrowded, insanitary slums. In the two decades after the murders, the worst of the slums were cleared and demolished, but the streets and some buildings survive, and the legend of the Ripper is still promoted by various guided tours and murder sites and other locations pertaining to the case. For many years, the Ten Bells public house in Commercial Street, which had been frequented by at least one of the Canical Ripper victims, was the focus of such tours. In the immediate aftermath of the murders, and later, Jack the Ripper became the children's bogeyman. In the 1920s and 1930s, he was depicted in film dressed in everyday clothes, as a man with a hidden secret, preying on his unsuspecting victims. Atmosphere and evil were suggested through lighting effects and shadow play. By the 1960s, the Ripper had become the symbol of a predatory aristocracy and was more often portrayed in a top hat, dressed as a gentleman. The establishment as a whole became the villain, with the Ripper acting as the manifestation of upper-class exploitation. Jack the Ripper features in hundreds of works of fiction and works which straddle the boundaries between fact and fiction, including the Ripper letters and a hoax diary, the diary of Jack the Ripper. The Ripper appears in novels, short stories, poems, comic books, games, songs, plays, operas, television programs, and films. More than 100 non-fiction works deal exclusively with the Jack the Ripper murders, making this case one of the most written about in the true crime genre. The term Ripperology was coined by Colin Wilson in the 1970s, to describe the study of the case by professionals and amateurs. In 2006, a BBC History magazine poll selected Jack the Ripper as the worst Britain in history. In 2015, the Jack the Ripper Museum opened in East London and attracted criticism from both Tower Hamlet's mayor, John Briggs, and protesters. Similar protesters occurred in 2021, when the second of two Jack the Chipper fish and chip shops opened in Greenwich with some patrons threatening to boycott the premises. So, I hope you've enjoyed our Halloween look at Jack the Ripper from the East End of London in the late 1800s. Do sleep well tonight, and happy Halloween. If you'd like to make contact with us, or suggest any places you'd like us to feature in future podcasts, you can let me know through our website, londonvisited.co.uk, or our social media. It's that easy. Thank you for listening and really hope you enjoyed our podcast. We'll see you soon on the next one.